Turn to Matthew chapter 12, if you would, Matthew 12. It's page 683, and the, the one that Alex is passing out, Matthew 12. And I'm going to read the first eight verses as you follow along. Would you stand with me while I read, please? Matthew 12. Verse 1, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Jesus answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry he entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Let's pray. Father, you are great and you are good. And I pray that you would just open our eyes as we look at Jesus this morning and we look at this passage Father, you would open our eyes afresh to the life and the hope um, that is in Jesus. Um, Father, teach us this morning, I pray, in his name. Amen. You may sit down. Or you can stay standing the whole time. We all grow or have grown up in an imperfect and dysfunctional world, right? Anybody disagree? Any of you grown up in a perfect world? I'll talk to you afterwards. <laughs> For some of you growing up um, in the dysfunctional world, some of you that are here this morning grew up homeless. Some of you growing up grew up in a home, but it was a home racked by substance abuse and sexual abuse, domestic violence, and just a cycle of lawlessness. But others of you, like me, grew up in a home that was an environment of legalism. 
So there are all different ways we can grow up homeless or in a home that's full of lawlessness and dysfunctionality in terms of abuse. But others of us have grown up in, in a home, like my home, that was loving and yet it was ruled by law. To give you an idea, if you didn't grow up that way, this is what I mean. It seemed like there were more don'ts than there were do's. Don't dance, don't smoke, don't drink alcohol, don't play cards, don't go to movies, don't eat ice cream on Thursdays. No, I was just kidding, we, didn't, we could do that. And for sure, don't associate with anyone that does any of those things. I'll tell you, it was hard growing up being the only people on planet Earth who had it all together. That was a joke, okay? <laughs> You're worrying me. <laughs> now, I realize, having grown up, I'm mostly grown up, that there, were a lot of, there was a lot of protection growing up in that environment. And growing up in that environment, I was protected from a lot of things that some of you experienced by growing up in a lawless environment as opposed to one being ruled by law. But one thing I've come to realize over the years as I've understood this guise of protection really caused me as I grew up, even though I was protected, it caused me to miss the point. The point of why we live. The point of what life is about. You know, whether we grew up under lawlessness or homelessness or in a home or, or under law, we can all easily forget the point, the point of what life is about. The question I want you to, as I speak this morning and as we, we come into God's word, the question I want you to be thinking about in your head is, have you forgotten the point of what this is all about? Let me give you an outline of where we're going this morning. I'm just going to kind of summarize it, so if you want to fall asleep, you'll kind of have it. The point, this is the point. God created us for relationship with him. Okay, that's the point. Adam and Eve chilling in the Garden of Eden with God. That was the point. That's what God created us for. He created us for life, for relationship with him. And as long as Adam and Eve trusted God and relied upon God, depended upon God, delighted in God, things were great. Just enjoying God in the Garden of Eden. That was the point. But then we come to Genesis chapter 3 in the Bible and there's the problem. The problem, you know, it, was, it just was too good to be true. Kind of like a used car salesman's promise or a or this time of year, a politician's promise. <laughs> too good to be true, I guarantee you. It was just too good to be true. And deceived by the devil's lies, Adam and Eve chose independence from God instead of dependence upon God and delight in God's presence. And they became separated from God. And sin led to separation and death instead of relationship 
and life. It was a sad day. That's the problem. So we have the point, we have the problem. But it wasn't the end because in Genesis chapter 3, right after Adam and Eve chose to be independent from God, God made the promise. The promise. Genesis chapter 3, Genesis 3.15, God promised that a promised one would come who would defeat the devil, deliver us from our sin, and restore us into relationship with God. The point. That was the promise. Someone would come who would defeat the devil, deliver us from our sin and separation from, from God, and, and restore us into relationship with him. However, as we, as we work our way out of Genesis 3.15, I mean, very quickly we come to, to the story of Noah and on and on and God. We see that people, individuals just like us, just like we do, they forgot the promise. They quickly forgot the promise. They, they forgot that, that there was one coming who would deliver them from the problem and bring them back into the point, relationship with God and life. But people quickly forgot it and, and plunged into doing their own thing. Uh, the book of Judges words it well. It says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Right? It kind of describes how our society, the world. Everybody does what they want to do, goes, goes their own way, does their own thing. And uh, lost sight of the promise. We come to the book of Exodus in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, and we see something else introduced after the promise as people are plunging back into sin, and it's called the law. The law. So Exodus, enter the law. The law was given by God as a righteous standard, God's righteous standard. And in it we see precepts and judgments and rules and regulations. We see the temple worship. We see festivals. We see sacrifices. All of these things, the law, not to be the point. Okay, I want you to get this. This is not to be the point. It wasn't the point. The point is what? Relationship with God. The law entered and was introduced in order to remind us, remind us about the problem, <laughs> sin, that we couldn't, by following rules and regulations and doing sacrifices, we couldn't experience the point, relationship with God. The law was purely to, to remind us that we can't keep God's righteous standard. And it was to cause us to long for the promise. Am I confusing you with all that? It was to cause us to long for the promise who would bring us back, restore us to the point, relationship with God. Well, we Testament after, after this, the, all these things that I talked about, and the promise arrived, Jesus. We come to the book of Matthew. The promised one arrived. But, you know, in John 1 it says that he came and they didn't receive him. They didn't recognize him. They rejected him. So the promise of the one who would come and defeat the devil and deliver us from our sin and restore us into life and relationship with God, he came, but he was rejected. They missed him. 
Why was that? Well, as we come to Matthew 12 this morning, we're going to see it's because they'd forgotten the point. What's the point? Relationship with God. I want you to get that. The point, it's what God created us for. It's relationship with God. It's where life is in him is life, John 1, 4. And if you want to do something that's really fun, I just scanned through it in a concordance yesterday. There are dozens of verses in the book of John that just say life is in Jesus. I came that you might have life and have it to the full, John 10, 10. In him is life, in him is life. It just repeats it over and he's the bread of life. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth and the life. Relationship with God, life is in the promised one, Jesus. But they rejected him because they'd forgotten the point was relationship with God and not just trying to keep the law. That wasn't the point. That was to remind them (laughs) that they couldn't be in relationship with God apart from the promise that they were looking forward to. Okay, that's the summary. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12 and we're just really quickly going to see as Jesus is walking with his disciples and he's confronted by the religious leaders of his day how this this works out. Matthew 12, just look at it. We're going to work our way through it. First of all, in verse 1, we see the setting. It says, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. So Jesus, the promise the promised one, is walking through some fields of grain with his disciples. His disciples are hungry and they're plucking off the ears of grain. They're eating them. And this is totally permissible according to law. They're doing nothing wrong. God, because of his love and his compassion for people, put it in the law that this could be done. In fact, farmers were supposed to leave the edges of their field available for people that were hungry and poor to be able to walk alongside the edges of the grain fields and pluck and eat. That's the setting. But look at verse 2. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. This is the problem. It's the Sabbath day when Jesus and his disciples happen to be walking through the grain field. And on the Sabbath, no work is supposed to take place. It's a day of rest. And it just so happens that the religious leaders in their zeal to follow the law have put all kinds of laws and rules and regulations on top of the law in order to help people be righteous in right relationship with God. And so one of the laws that they added to the law was that picking and eating grain was work. And so to pick and eat grain on the Sabbath then became unlawful because it became work. You know, if, if following rules could make you righteous, I would be one of the most righteous people because 
I grew up trying to follow all those rules. Don't drink, don't dance, don't play cards, don't go to movies. And yet, as we see in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses the righteousness of these religious leaders, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. You won't have a relationship with God because the righteousness, the right standing we're talking about, Jesus is talking about is one that starts in the heart. It's not just outward observance, but it's something that's happened in the heart that restores us to right relationship with God. And it's not about following rules. It's not about the law. There's only one thing that can do that. What is it? The promise is the only thing that can bring us back into right relationship with God. So notice Jesus' response. In verse 3, he says, Haven't you read what David did? This is King David that Jesus is referring to. He, he was called a man after God's own heart by God himself. He says, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God. This is the tabernacle, the predecessor to the temple. And he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, meaning the bread that was to be for the priests alone to eat. And so it wasn't lawful for them to eat it. That's example number one. Example number two, and he says, and also, haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? And by desecrating the Sabbath, what it means is they, in carrying out their temple duties, were working. And so they were working on the Sabbath when they were not to work because they were carrying out their temple duties. And what is Jesus' estimation of both of these? Innocent. That's, that's his estimation, innocent. Jesus says, God didn't have any problem with these two examples I gave you. Why do you have a problem with my disciples when they're hungry eating some grain on the Sabbath? And then, he, and then he says one more thing. He says in verse 6, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. Something greater, someone greater than the temple is here. And, and it's, he's going he's gonna to make it clear as we look on. But what he is saying is, what is something greater? The promised one is greater than the law. You see that? Someone greater than the temple. The temple representing the law. The promised one is greater than the law. So this is the point. Look at verses 7 and 8 as Jesus concludes. He says, if you had known what these words mean, and these are key words, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. What do these words mean? Keep your finger in Matthew, and we're going to go to where they're quoted from in Hosea. And that's back in the Old Testament. Um, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, if that helps you. Ezekiel's a pretty big book. Hosea 6 and page 628, if you got this Bible. Hosea 6. And I'm going to, I want you to look at verse 4. Hosea 6, 4. God is speaking through Hosea, and he's talking to his people, Israel, and he says, What can I do with you, Ephraim? 
What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist. What is the morning mist like? It's just, it's here and it's gone, right? He says, your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. And what, what God is saying is, your relationship with me is it's so fickle. <laughs> you love me one day and you promise you'll never leave me that day and then the next day you're doing something else. He says, your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. Therefore, I cut you in pieces with my prophets. I killed you with the words of my mouth. Then my judgments go forth like the sun. And what he's talking about in verse 5 is the law. <laughs> the law that was given... <laughs> To remind them how they've strayed away from God. <laughs> to, to convince them of the problem of their sin that is causing their, their disloyalty to God and their, their fickleness and their unfaithfulness. And then we come to the verse that's, that Jesus quotes in Matthew 12, verse 6. He says, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Now, this is the one I want you to see really quickly for us to understand what, what Jesus is saying. In verse, in verse 4, where God says, your love is like the morning mist, the word love there is the same word as in verse 6, for I desire mercy, same word. It's the word in Hebrew chesed, and it means, it really combines both of those together, and it means loyal love. It means, God, and so what God is saying is, your, your relationship to me, your love for me, your, the consistency and faithfulness of your love and relation to me, it's, it's, it's just like it's here today and gone tomorrow. And I wish, but what I wish, God says, is that for you is, is for relationship with me more than sacrificing to me. What I'm looking for is relationship, not law. Okay? Back to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent. And why is that? It's because the point is relationship with God. It's not keeping the law and multiplying rules and regulations and laws one upon another to try and be outwardly righteous, but it's something that has to change in the heart in order to make us in right relationship with God. And then Jesus ends by saying, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And that's where he kind of comes to the conclusion where he says, the Son of Man, the promised one, is Lord of the law. Okay. Now, if you follow me this far, let me just try and summarize, because this is really important. Because whether, whether you're like me, who grew up under law, or whether you're like someone who grew up under lawlessness, what has happened for most of us, or at least many of us, is that the point has begun, has been trying to find life in something besides the promised one. If you grew up under lawlessness, you grew up with this, this pursuit of trying to find life in, in, 
in, in this or that, in possessions or people or position or drugs or sex or food. Or the, the point becomes trying to find life in, in something like that. And in, instead of dependence and delight in God, that's the point. That's where life is. But we've tried to find it like Adam and Eve in something besides God. But then when the law came in, some of us began to try and find life in the law. Like, if I just work harder, if I just put, follow more laws, if I just pile them on top of each other like the religious leaders, then I'm going to have a relationship with God because that's what God wants. He just wants me to do more, to follow more, to obey more. And we miss the point either way. Do you understand that? So this is the conclusion. The point has always been relationship. God created us for relationship with him, to delight in him. The Westminster Catechism says the chief end of man is to glorify God by keeping the law. False. False. Thank you. You people don't know the Westminster Catechism. Huh? It says the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. That's the point. Amen. Relationship with God. Thank you. Enjoyment of God. It's relationship, not rules, that delight God. You get that? Relationship, not rules, that delights God. The law was never meant to save or deliver or offer hope to anyone. And I'm emphasizing this because so often I think many of us have gotten the idea that the Old Testament was about keeping the law and that's how you were saved. And we come to the New Testament, we come to Jesus, and now that's how we're saved. And that is not true. The problem has always been sin. The point has always been relationship with God. And the promised one, Jesus, Old Testament, New Testament, is always the answer to getting back to the point. Restoration, relationship with God, life. Let me just, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Let me read you a couple verses here. It's um, page 811 in this Bible. Galatians 3. Did I say Genesis? Thoughts, they both start with G, right? So you can follow along in Genesis 3. I'll be reading Galatians 3. Um, it's up to you. It might be less confusing if you follow along in the same book, though. Galatians 3. This ties the promise, the law. It ties it all together, okay? Galatians 3, verse 16. It says, The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. That's the promise given to Abraham. In you, in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That seed, that promised one, is the one referred to in Galatians, excuse me, Genesis 3.15, who will defeat the devil, deliver us, and bring us back into restoration with God. Verse um, what I mean is this, verse 17. 
the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant with Abraham previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. That is important. The promise that God gave when the law came in. It didn't say, okay, no more promise, now it's the law, keep the law. The law didn't do away with that. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it is no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. That's the promised one. Verse 19. Why then was the law given at all? And that might be going through some of your minds right now. Why the law? And this is the answer. It was added because of transgressions or sins until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. Drop down to verse 21. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by keeping the law. And that's what the religious leaders, that's what I grew up trying to do. Um, I lost, boy, this is really small print. Thank you. My Bible is not an NIV, so I used this one so I could read the same thing you're reading. But Verse 22, but Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin. That's the problem. So that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Verse 24, so the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by the law. So the law was never meant to deliver, to save, to offer hope, but the law was given to what? Two things. Remind us that we're sinners, that there's a problem, and we can't do anything about it by keeping the law, but to make us long for the promise who would come and bring us back into relationship with God. Our hope has always been the promise. Our hope is the promise. Jesus, who alone can restore us to relationship with God. And he accomplished this in two ways that I just want to summarize for you. He accomplished this in two ways. Number one, the law had a righteous standard, and Jesus fulfilled that righteous standard. In Matthew 5, 17, it's a really important verse. Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Jesus didn't come to say, ah, forget the law. He came to fulfill the law because the the law's standard is God's standard. So he, he came to fulfill that standard so on the cross he could pay the penalty. I want you to get that. He fulfilled the law's standard. He was without sin. He knew no sin. He was righteous. So that as the promise, he could pay the law's standard, which was the the law's penalty, which was death, and bring us back into relationship with God. I hope you're getting this. It's maybe a little heavier theology than you're used to, but it's really important. It's really important. On the cross, in John 19.30, when Jesus said, it is finished, it literally meant paid in full. 
the penalty of the law, the consequences of our sin, paid in full. The problem that was separating us from God and from life, from relationship, was paid on the cross by the righteous one, Jesus, the promised one, so that we could come back into relationship with him. So the point is not in keeping the law or breaking it. If you're here this morning, you think, ah, man, yippee, life is in doing my own thing, going my own. And I, I hope, hope you're going to learn pretty quick, if you haven't already learned, that, that lawlessness isn't life. It doesn't bring life. It just brings death. The wages of sin is death. Breaking the law doesn't bring life. You know, saying, I'm my own person, I'm going to do my own. Freedom is whoopee. It, it isn't, it's death. But keeping the law isn't life either because the law was never meant to lead to life. It was meant to lead to the promise. Who can bring life because of what he did on the cross? The point is being in relationship with Jesus. And that's what I call us afresh to this morning. It's to Jesus. And I'm going to end by reading this one scripture and I'll be done. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul summarizes it really well. Really well. Listen to what Paul says, who grew up like I grew up. Listen to what he says. In verse 4, he says, if someone thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, meaning in their own personal righteousness. I have more. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the people of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee, meaning I followed all those little nitpicky things that we added to the law. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He says, I kept every one of them all those external laws. But, listen to what he says, but whatever was gained to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss, and the, the literal word is manure. I consider everything, all my attempts to be righteous, all my attempts to find life, all my attempts to live, he says, I consider it manure because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things and consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith in Christ, the promise I want to know Christ. And I trust that is our desire. Realizing that that alone is where life is at. It's in Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray that you would take your word and, and take my words and through your Holy Spirit that you would make them clear. You would use them to convict our hearts. You would use them to, to open our eyes afresh to Jesus and to pursue him and the life that is in him because of his life, his death, his resurrection. Father, thank you for Jesus. Amen.